We're going to do... You can, I can take a Chomash, yeah. That's fine. Okay. So, we're starting to do the portion of Korach. And it's interesting how eventful, how many things happened in just a, such a short period of time. It was kind of quiet, you know. I mean, they built the Mishkan and they... You know, it was uh, pretty peaceful. You know, we had... When the Jews left Egypt and on their way to... Um, to uh, receiving the Torah in the first seven weeks they went out so on their journey there there was some excitement over there uh, in a few of the stops that they made over there in one place they didn't have water, it was mara, they, the water mm-hmm. was bitter in another place they didn't have food they were complaining, there was some action going on but then once they stopped at the uh, Mount Sinai and they, they stopped over there uh, as Rashi says over there finally everybody is content, so to speak. But that didn't last long. Uh, For about, uh, you know, for about, just about a year. Just about a year things were, I'll take a little seltzer, yeah, thanks. For about a year things were kind of quiet. Things were uh, laid back a little bit. But after that, the last few weeks, and this is actually the final major event, there were one event following the other event, you know, that brought a lot of excitement. Sort of, uh, the unusual stuff. So, besides some individual stuff, like they found somebody, you know, uh, individual sins that took place, but there were three sort of major uproars in the community. I mean, one was the story with Miriam. They spoke uh, evil tongue about Miriam. Uh, now Miriam spoke about against Moshe. So that was sort of a, a, um, a challenge to Moshe. Uh, and that held the community back for seven days over there. Instead of journeying, they stayed back. Then we had last week the story of the spies, uh, the scouts who they sent, and then they came back with a bad report, and then they were decreed to spend 40 years uh, in the desert. And today's portion we're going to read about uh, Korach. Korach started a rebellion against Moshe. He started a rebellion against Moshe. And he basically... Um, challenge or got inside of the people, challenge Moshe's leadership, Moshe's authority. From the perspective that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was in charge and he gave out all the leadership positions and he decided it was his decision, if you look at it from the point of view that it was just solely his own uh, decisions, it's his own prerogative, whatever he decides to do, that's what he did. Well, it seems kind of, um, kind of, uh, you know, selfish, seems kind of for himself. Uh, and Korach utilized this as a reason for his own agenda and a reason for his own uh, anger uh, that he was, uh, you know, hurt. He himself was sort of uh, uh, very much uh, angry because he felt that his, that his status was overlooked and he wasn't given the proper leadership. So he disguised it by saying that all these other leaderships that are taking place, Moshe did it on his own. It was his, uh, his choice. So from that point, you know, he got a lot of people to go along with him. He got a lot of the leadership, he got the entire community eventually to go along with him. But the truth of the matter is, Moshe didn't do anything on his own. Moshe 
just followed the, the direction, whatever God told him, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu did. And we know from the very beginning, Moshe this, this very much did not want to become a leader. Moshe Rabbeinu did not look for it. He ran away. He was pleading with God to take it away from him. And yet, all the times whenever the Jews were in trouble, Moshe Rabbeinu sticks up for them. Even in this case here too, Moshe Rabbeinu sticks up for them eventually. Uh, also sticks up for the Jewish people. But Korach took advantage of this fact and he argued that there was cronyism, there was nepotism, there was uh, favoritism, there was all in the family, it's, it's connections, it's leadership by connections. Okay, that's what Korach's argument was. Interesting though to note that Korach was a distinguished individual. He was a very learned man, and he was a very, uh, you know, upscale, was very wealthy, uh, probably had a healthy ego too, you know, he was just, you know, up there. But something very interesting that comes out when you read in the Talmud and the Medrash, they were actually very religious people. They were very religious people. You're surprised, how could they make a fight with Moshe if they were so religious? And, you know, in, in some way we learn that even though they knew that they're going to lose and they knew that was wrong, but they were so angry. Moshe, Korach was so angry, he was so jealous, and he was so hurt, and his his ego was so, uh, uh, you know, that he 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 just he decided even he's going to lose his life, even he's going to lose everything, but he's still going to cause trouble to Moshe Rabbeinu. He wasn't. He didn't care the fact that he knew that he's going to lose and he knew that it was wrong, but he still was going to cause the trouble. Um, why do we say this? It's very interesting. Now, you know, like everything else, in the Talmud and the Medrash, they blame everything the women they blame. They blame the wives. They blame the wives for the good and for the bad. The Talmud says that it wasn't Korach himself, it was his wife that instigated him. His wife instigated him, she told him, look at uh, Moshe. Moshe was his cousin, his first cousin. Their fathers were brothers. Moshe's father... And uh, Korach's fathers were brothers. Uh, Moshe's father's name was Amram, and uh, Korach's father's name was Yitzhar. Amram and Yitzhar were two brothers. Amram had Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, and Yitzhar had Korach, and the rest of the family there. So they were first cousins. And Moshe, uh, Korach's wife told him that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu took the kingdom, the kingship for himself, he's the leader, he gave the high priesthood he gave to his brother, the deputy priest became his brother's children, and then we learned in the previous parsha that the levies, in order to become inaugurated part of the levies, they needed to shave all their hair, he says, you know, the, the Kohanim didn't have to shave, only the levies had to shave. And they had to shave all the all their hair, so he says that was the way. Why did they have to shave? You're asking. Yeah, they're not supposed to shave, right? Okay, well, uh, that's a good point. But the the um, let me just say the there is so, so, sometimes. Well, this is another portion, but I mentioned it, so I'll answer it. I want to continue this portion. Um, sometimes the Torah commands people to shave, like if a person has leprosy, for example. Uh, a person has leprosy, 
when he uh, heals after the leprosy, the Torah says, it's a spiritual kind of leprosy, not to mix up with the leprosy today, but it's the mitzaraz that we talk about in the Torah. That kind of mitzaraz, which comes for Lashon Hara, which comes for as a punishment, as a sign from heaven. So that leprosy, when a person is healed, there is a procedure, and part of the procedure is to shave off his hair, and sort of almost to start anew, you know, growing the hair anew, clean, you know, starting a, you know, clean shave, and then you start all over again. And because when uh, a uh, when the Jewish people, uh, uh, they sinned uh, with the golden calf, uh, that is in some way uh, considered uh, like, a, that like they were plagued with the leprosy, because they're both like, uh, compared to somebody who's dead. Uh, but anyways, it was supposed to atone, and this shaving was supposed to uh, be a way of coming in uh, to back to the uh, uh, the Levites to become the holy Levites. That's the prescription. And Rashi explains over there uh, exactly, you know, the connection. But the point is, we're talking about shaving. You shouldn't shave. You know, we're talking about shaving a beard could be halakhically questionable. But for the ladies, that what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to cut all the hair of the body. But his wife said to him, "Look, he's making." He's playing around with you like like fools, she says. You know, he's he's taking you. He's telling you to shave. He's making you look disgusting, horrible. I guess his wife wasn't too happy. You know, how Korach looked after he had to take his shave. So, Korach said to his wife, "But wait a minute," she says. But Moshe Rabbeinu was a levy too. He also shaved. So, why are you complaining? So. She says, ah, he says, well, he figured in order, he has the leadership anyways, he figured he'll shave, he'll make, he'll make you all do what he wants, so he'll shave too, he says, you know, but as long as he has the control, as long as he's in charge, you know, it's, it's his way, so he's even willing to sort of take a shave as long as he got you all going, listening to him. And she instigated him, and she instigated him, and he went out and listened to her, the Gemara uses a verse in which it says that sometimes the 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 uh, wife can persuade her husband to do evil and the Gemara uses some verse you know to say that but on the other hand well the balances it off with the wife of Ein ben Pelis because in the you'll see right away in the Chumash it's very interesting that in the first verse uh, as we start studying the first verse and maybe we'll start with Sarah today uh, sorry, read, read for us the first verse and then we'll, 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 we'll talk a little bit more about it. What does it say? Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, took himself to one side along with Dathan and Abarim, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Pelet, descendants of Reuben. Now, how many people are mentioned here? Just, just how many people are mentioned here who are part of it? I'm not asking their lineage. Just we'll talk about lineage in a minute. How many people are mentioned over here? Three. You have Korach, right? Datan, Aviram, and On. Right? Four. Four people. Datan, uh, Korach, and Datan, Aviram, and On. There are four people mentioned here. Now, it's interesting that as we read later on in the Parsha, we, we encounter Dotan and Aviram several times more in this whole dispute. On doesn't appear anymore. This is the only time he appears. Later on, we don't see On. What happened to On? What happened? So here we go back to the story in the Talmud. The Talmud relates that the wife of On ben Peles, she actually 
uh, protected him. She saved his life. The Gemara uses with regards to her the verse that the wisdom of women built the home, that she was the one that was able to protect the home and make sure that saved the life of On Ben Pelas. Because as you know, eventually, after all these things uh, took place, eventually they were all punished, they were swallowed by the ground. But we don't find On being swallowed by the ground. And the Gemara explains over there, what happened over there was that his wife was arguing with him. She says to him, why are you starting up with Moshe Rabbeinu? And she was saying to him, basically, you have nothing to gain either way. She says, if Moshe Rabbeinu will, wins, you're a schnook anyways. If Korach wins, you remain the same schnook. He says, it's not about you. Why do you get involved? You know, these two people are fighting. Korach is fighting Moshe, his cousin. So let them fight it out. Why are you taking Why are you taking sides? you got nothing to gain of it. Keep your nose out of it. So he says to her, but I gave him a promise that I'm going to be part of it. She says to him, don't worry, let me take care of it. Just listen to me. She gave him a good bottle of scotch to drink, and she put him, she knocked him out, he drank, so he couldn't hear anything. He went to sleep. And then what she did was, she uncovered her hair, and she sat down next to the door. Now, it's very interesting, the Talmud, this is what I said, the Talmud says many times, that as we'll see in the verse, the people, they were very, extremely religious. When they came to the door, they saw a woman with uncovered hair, they wouldn't come close. They said, this is not... You know. So they came a few times to call him. They were calling from far. He was somewhere else, you know, he was dreaming about something. He was fast asleep, so he couldn't hurt him. So she made sure that he wouldn't transgress. They didn't want to approach the house because she was sitting there with uncovered hair. So they left. But what does it tell us also? That they were very, very religious. They're going to make a war against, they're fighting and making a whole big to-do against Moshe Rabbeinu. But still, they're so religious. I mean, it, this is so relevant. <laughs> Sometimes you wonder how people are so fervent and religious, but then they have so much fights and so much machlokis. You know, they're, these people are religious. They won't come into vicinity because there's a woman sitting with uncovered hair, but yet they're going to go and make fight against Hashem and against Moshe and against everybody else. Everything is, 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 is that. Now, but, but they weren't fighting against Hashem at that time, right? Because they just thought Moshe was just uh, like trying to be the boss when he shouldn't have been the boss. It's clear from all the evidences we'll see that Korach knew quite well. This was just his hidden agenda. We're going to learn. He, this was just a hidden agenda. What really ticked uh, Korach off was the following. Remember I said that um, Moshe and Aaron and Miriam, they were the sons of the older brother. The older brother's name was Amram. And he had three sons, two sons and a daughter. Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. So Moshe became the Kohen. Aaron became the uh, high priest. His children, it doesn't mention here, it mentions later on Rashi, became the deputies, you know, so so they're pretty well taken care of. So Amram's children were taken care of. Now there's another position opens up, another leadership position opens up. They need a leader for the Kahatite family. What does it mean, a little Kahatite family? The um, um, Levi, who was Jacob's son, Levi was Jacob's third son, he had three sons, he had Gershon, Kohat, and Merari. 
Those were the three main families of Levi. Levi had three sons, and those were the three families that came. The Gershonites, the Kohathites, and the uh, Merorites. So Gershonites and Merorites. So the Kohathites had their own family. Now who was the Kohathites family? The Kohathites family, basically, that's one-third of the Levi family. Levi's children three. One-third was the Kohathites. The Kohathites family was broken into four children. So you had Amram, the oldest one, which Moshe and Aaron came from and Miriam came from. Then you had Yitzhar, that was the second one in line after Amram. He, uh, his, he had a son named Korach, amongst the other children. And then there was another brother whose name was Hebron. And then there was a fourth final brother whose name was Uziel. So now they have to choose a leader for the Kohatite family, for their whole family. Who does Moshe Rabbeinu choose? He goes to the fourth son. So Amram was the oldest son. He passes Yitzhar, which Karach is his son. He passes Hebron. He goes to Uziel. He takes Uziel's son, Elitzofen. He makes Elitzofen the head of the Kohatite family. Now this ticked off Korach. Korach says, okay, I'm the next in line. Because my father was the second brother of the oldest. Amram was the oldest. Yitzhar was the second one. Why does he pass over Yitzhar and goes down to Uziel? Especially considering that Korach was a very, very learned man. He was a very, very wealthy man. And he had a great following. And it was also on top of that, as we see, he was a very religious person. So he was very well respected. So he said, how come Moshe Rabbeinu went over him and went to Elitzaf? But Moshe Rabbeinu didn't do anything on his own. Hashem told him, so he did what Hashem told him. Hashem told him to give the leadership to Elitzaf and the son of Uziel. Hashem told him everything? Like all these details? In these details, Hashem yeah. told him this, this particular thing. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'll prove it to you later on. And Moshe says, you don't believe me that Hashem told him. Or they argued, but I'm saying, what God... What got Korach angry was not... Korach got angry not because he didn't believe that Hashem told him to do that. How could they not believe Moshe, if you look? It says, in the verse says before, when Moshe took them out of Egypt, it says, Vayaminu Bahashem over Moshe Avdo. They trusted God, they believed in God, and his servant Moshe. Moshe has just shown them endless amount of miracles. Moshe has led them, he's taken them out, he's given them the manna, he's given them the water. He communicated with God, everything... He was tested all the time. He told them what's going to happen, and it happened. They were with him. They saw it day by day. There wasn't a question that Moshe Rabbeinu is doing what God tells them to do. And, but this was only, this was only a, a, an excuse because they were, uh, this was something that the community would get up in arms by inciting them and telling them, look what he's doing. So they took advantage of it. You know, I mean, this is what the, I mean, this is the nature. And, you know, again, it amazes me whenever you read these stories in the Chumash and the Torah, these stories, how notwithstanding the advancements in science and the culture and, and technology and medicine, human nature remained the same, you know. We're all still, you know, this is, this is so out of, you know, it's so, you know, and it happens in every shul. It happens in every community. It happens in every place. This is, you know. I was going to ask the same exact question. Huh? Why did God kind of go into the like minutia? Yeah, right. Like, what does he that? care? Who's in charge of one family? Do you know what I mean? Didn't in a way he stir up a little contention? Well, 
Uh, it, in the end of the day, one brother was got like retarded, and the other brother was the good. Bro- you know, not the other one wasn't good, but he was a better person. So you make him the leader. But here's a person he, that you see that he is wealthy. He was intelligent. He was everything that you would want in a leader. And, and Hashem, and he but was the oldest. Almost. Look how he reacts when he doesn't get what he wants. No, but that I, you know, something. It, what you said in the beginning, his wife stirred up the whole pot. Why could you just blame the wife? You know, the husband needs to stand. That up also didn't change. Also. That also didn't change. Still blame the wife. Blame. <laughs> that, no, always that, blame the wife. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's right. New nature didn't change. Man's nature didn't change either. And when the wife <laughs> helped, when wife helped own, right? Right. They mentioned that, and every. Everyone's like happy about that, you know. All the wife did good. Yeah, that. yeah. So when you take the good, you got to take the bad. <laughs> no, the, the the thing is this. No, no, I, 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 I want to say that it's we can understand today why we're like this, but there where they saw Moshe taking them out and his hand, you know, taking them out of Mitzrayim and Kriyas Yamsuf and all that stuff, and they ate the manna. They were spiritual people. How could they turn on Moshe like that? How we turn today, it's one thing, but he was like, he was, you know. They turned almost like every week was like, yeah, a, like another thing. They didn't thing. get the meat, they didn't get this, they didn't get that. Like, how could they do that when they saw such open miracles? No, but in, in both ways. Actually, you know, and the Talmud talks a lot about this subject, you know, and uh, there's actually an opinion, there's a few opinions whether the people of the Korach community will ever be resurrected, will they get Olam Haba? Some one opinion says they're not, they're not destined to get up in the future, some say they will. A matter of, matter of fact, Rabbi Akiva, who says, you know, the love of your fellow is a big rule of the Torah, he advocates very strongly for harmony, for love, to reach out. and But he takes a very strict position, and he says, uh, he interprets certain verses over there saying, no, they're lost and forever. So the other rabbi says to him, Rabbi Kiva, I want you to know that your creator is not happy with your interpretation. <laughs> he would not want you to interpret it in a way that says bad about the Jewish people, even about them. No, you sure. should interpret it, and he gives him the alternative interpretation of the verse, that it's not what you say it is, that it's so bad, that it's so gloomy, but on the contrary, find a merit. But it's interesting the way he says it to him. He says it to him that your creator isn't happy with your interpretation. He doesn't like to expound the verse the way you're trying to expound it. You must expound it in the favor of them so that they do have the merit. No, even today you're not supposed to say something bad about it. One Jew is not supposed to say something bad, even if it's true. You shouldn't say something. And, and especially, and even it's true, and we find that the prophet says bad things, God rebukes the prophets for that. Terrible, we can't say anything bad. But, going back to our subject over here, um, you know, it's very, very hard to try to understand. You know, we're trying to look at it from our perspective. If we were Korach, for example, we would be highly offended. We feel for Korach, in a way, by our standard, by our uh, yeah. way we do things, we say, hey, look, why, 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 why uh, ignore this sort of perfect candidate? And, and why offend him like that? Why not give him? But the, why do we feel bad for him? He, he's probably better off. He has everything he had, 
And now he's not dealing with, with 600,000 people with every ache and pain they have. Yeah, well, that's only for those people that can't make it to leadership. They found it for the people that have a... <laughs> the people that want to be at the top somehow. You know, they say this joke about this fellow who... Uh, who became had a leadership position in the community, but you know, of course, everybody hated him like like the plague. You know, everybody had something bad to say about him. You know, so his friend from back away from Beijing once comes to the town looking for his friend. So he asked this guy. He says, "Where can I find Moshe? You know, my oh that Moshe, yeah, he's a thief, he's a criminal." And the other guy, Moshe, oh, he's a liar. You know, you can't believe it. Oh, he's all about his fans, all about himself. Uh, you know, I, nobody can say. Finally comes to his friend and says, Moshe, I know you're half a decent guy. What happened to you? How did you? He says, I don't know. He says, so he says, listen, you get paid for this job, you know, for being in this community. He says, no, that's volunteer. So he says, why are you doing it? So he says, how could you take away? He says, honor is nothing by you. He says, <laughs> so to him it's the honor that he's getting for the job. You know, to him it's, it's an honorable job. So we shouldn't know from such from such desires, but some people have a, a real need to be in the leadership position, and they consider that to be to be very honorable, and that's very respectful, and they and they love the job. But in any event, but we have to understand that the placement of these things over here, everything over there with Moshe Rabbeinu, has to go a notch higher. And also, we also have to put in perspective, I mean, these are people, you know, that made a covenant, as the Talmud says, with God, God directly, they sprinkled the blood. Right after Matan Torah, we learn in the portion of Mishpatim that God made a personal covenant with these 600,000 people that were there. They're referred to as a Dordea, as a generation of knowledge. On one hand, you know, they are very, very strongly criticized. They are very much, you know, uh, uh, for, for their way. But at their level, it was something which which, uh, but it's not for us to judge, it's not for us to understand really, to judge them, uh, in any of them, but at their level, it was uh, Moshe Rabbeinu who was the leader, and they needed to trust him, and they needed to put away their own, uh, their own self, what they would like to be or to do. Now, we have to understand, you know, God, we are very small people, we don't know what's in our best interest. We don't see the whole picture. We don't always know what is, what is beneficial. A lot of times we pray, oh, we hope that this business deal goes through, right? Oh, I hope I get this job, you know, I hope, I hope this job is going to be... And when you don't get the job, oh, you're so disappointed, and you're so... You're heartbroken. And then you say to yourself, hey, you know what? I didn't get a job, I got a lot better. Well, it was a little bit of disappointment. In the wild, but in the end, I got so much better job that it's only because I didn't do that that I got that 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 better uh, that better position. Uh, you know, I spoke. We know a family of ours, a good friend of ours, used to live in Sharon. Now they retired to Florida. He told me that he had that story by him. I don't want to say the name, but the family over here they moved to Florida for a long time. He was out of work. He was sitting sitting next to him in shul. He was complaining. And then finally he went into a company, the company went public, and he was able to, and he got out a big deal, and then he was able to retire, he not have to work anymore. So, well, he felt terrible, he doesn't have a job, he doesn't have that, but you know what, in the end, but we don't know, because we see a small picture. So, people have to trust Hashem. If Hashem says, you know, Korach seems to be that he's the leader, for some reason God knows why, we don't know. These are not small things, these are very important things, and at that particular time, 
God was in control of everything. It's unlike right now. Right now, God doesn't talk to us directly. We don't know, you know, like they say, uh, if God talks to you, you're uh, you're holy. If you talk to God, you're you know you're insane. <laughs> Over here, you know, God's communicating. God was in charge of all the details. You see, all every minute detail. God speaks to Moshe this. God speaks to Moshe that. Can't compare it and say, you know, nowadays, well, God doesn't tell you who to choose for president of the shul or should be the rabbi. And of course, he doesn't get involved in that. So that's not. That's just works by a different kind of system. But in the system, the way it was put in place there, Moshe Ben was in charge, he was the leader, and everybody had to have a sense of humility to Hashem, and then through his servant Moses. Moses was the most humblest person, the verse just finished saying. Moses wasn't the person who led with, you know, with arrogance, with leadership, with, with, in, a, in a way that uh, knocked people or put them down. Moshe Rabbeinu was a very compassionate, he was a true leader, he was the, the leader par excellence, what is really a leader. That was Moshe Rabbeinu. And yet, they took advantage of the human frailties, human nature, to become and rile them up. Now, by the way, I wanted, we're going to go, we can talk about, not learn the Parsha, but this Dosan Vaviram had a whole big accounting to do with Moshe Rabbeinu. It didn't start over here. Dosan Vaviram are found in the Torah many, many times. They have a whole history with Moshe Rabbeinu. This was just, finally, we're going to get rid of Dosan Vaviram over here. We're going to do with Dosan Vaviram. Because way, way back, when Moshe Rabbeinu was just a youngster, he was just 13, 14 years old, he was a teenager. He goes out, he was just saved from the water. He went in Pharaoh's house. It says that Moshe Rabbeinu goes out into the street. He sees two people fighting. Who do you think those two people were? Dasan Vaviram. What is Dasan Vaviram? Moshe Rabbeinu says to them, Russia, evil, why do you smite your friend? Right? He hasn't smitten me yet. He just raised his hand. He says, evil, what is... So what happened? They got so angry, they went to Pharaoh. So they said to him, do you want to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? They went to Pharaoh, and they snitched on him. They slandered him to Pharaoh, and they said that Moses, the day before, had killed an Egyptian person. So then Pharaoh wants to kill him. So finally, finally Moshe has to run away. He runs away to Midian. Okay, He runs away to Midian, where he marries Zipporah, his wife over there. But these people were after him. Finally, when Moshe Rabbeinu after being in Midian, he's about to come back. Hashem says, you can go back to Egypt. Why? Because those people that look seeking your bad for you have died. Who do you think those people were that are seeking to you? Dasam Baviram. What do you mean they died? <laughs> They're alive and well, here they are. Rashi says over there, they died, means they became poor. They used to be bikshats, they used to be machers over there. They, used to, they died, meaning they're, they're of no consequence anymore. Now they're just plain. Don't worry about them anymore. Yeah, that's fine and good. Then what do you think when Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Pharaoh and he says to them, let the Jewish people out. Uh, Pharaoh says, you know what? Forget it. I'm making the work more difficult than it was before. Now, they go out from Pharaoh's house. They find people over there complaining to them. What did you do? You made it worse. Who do you think those people were? They said, Dasavavirim again. They're back there uh, for fighting against Moshe. They're instigating the, stuff. Constantly. Okay. Then finally, right. and then finally you have, this is Dustin Daviram, these two guys. These two, these two, they're main heavy Which players. Where were they from? They were the sons, it says, they were the sons of Bnei Eliov. Eliov was the son of Palu, and Palu was the son of Reuven. Now, Rashi says also, take a look. 
So the way they were uh, surrounded around the Mishkan was they were surrounded like all around the Mishkan. So they, they, they had like this. The Mishkan was in between. I, I just, if I have a little pen over here, I just make just a small diagram. I mean, it's not really, uh, I'm not going to show you anything major, uh, uh, any major designs over here. Uh, no artwork here, just uh, show you how they were camped, you know, so you get an idea of the, oh. So, if you had the, the, the Mishkan, right, was in the middle, and then they had, this was the tent, then they had four groups over here, these were the Levites, okay, so you had the Kohanim in the front, if we take this, uh, going, uh, this is uh, this is the east so they were always they were going like towards the east so this is the east so you have um, uh, Aaron, Moshe and Aaron in the front, okay, they were in the front and then you had the Kohatite family were on the south this was the Kohatite family, the ladies over here, this is the temple this is the Mishkan, okay, this is the sanctuary they were here, so that was one circle and then there was a broader circle where all the different tribes were. So there were three tribes here, three tribes here, three tribes here, and three tribes here. Who were the tribes that were on the south? It was Reuven plus two other tribes, but Reuven was here. That means that the Reuven was a neighbor of the Levi, the Kahatite family of Levi. The Kahat family was there. And Rashi says, woe to an evil, woe to his neighbor. Because because they were neighbor, and Korach plotted, they were all in it together. So now Korach convinced these people, or his neighbors, to go along with him. Now some of these people were really, um, you know, uh, learned people also. They were Rashi and Hedrin who learned. But what happened was, they were neighbors. They were next to each other, because the Levi was here, and the Jewish people were, the rest of the tribes were there. Reuben and the other two tribes that were on the south side. But I wanted to point out a few more things in this first verse over here, before I gotta go, which is another five minutes. Um, in this verse over here that you just read, so we start with Korach. So who was Korach? So let's go back to the first verse. Who was Korach's father? Yitzhar. Who was Yitzhar's father? Kohas. And who was Kohas' father? Levi. Who was Levi's father? Uh, Yitzhak. Yaakov. Yaakov. How come he stopped over here? It says, well, you know, Ben Levi, why not, why not Yaakov? I mean, already, we're, we're almost there, you might as well. I mean, you counted all these generations, because you're trying to say who they are. Why don't you put them up already to, to Yaakov? Matter of fact, there's another time we find in, 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 in the book of Divra Hayamim, in the Chronicles, over there, in the, the first book of Chronicles, I think, over there we find, when you're trying to say about the Levi's over there, it goes all the way up, it goes, Ben, 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 Ben Levi, then it says Ben Yisrael, Yaakov Yisrael, I mean, and over here it doesn't say, because, actually, Yaakov prayed, and we find it in the end of the Parshas, Chumash uh, Bereshis, before he died, Yaakov prayed, he says, Bikaholam al kivodi, that when they're gathering, my honor should not be there. He didn't want to be mentioned over there. He asked, he prayed, that don't mention me as part of the... Because this was an, up, this was an upstanding against, uh, you know, uh, uh, against Moshe Rabbeinu. He didn't want to be mentioned. He didn't want to be he associated. He knew this was going to happen. Oh, very good. He knew it was going to happen. And this is what I was going to answer you before. I don't know if you had a question before. I think everything that we learn in the text, in the, all these texts, 
as much as people have the freedom of choice, but somehow a lot of these things are destined to be, you know, the players and everything else, it was known it has to be at a certain level. A certain level people have a freedom of choice and they can choose to do what's right or, or wrong. People can sometimes change things, but by and large, a lot of the things have to happen. The Jews had to spend the time in the desert because that was meant to be. I mean, okay, it, it took place through a sin, but it's it's not something which was, you know, somehow all the plans changed because of what they did. And, you know, and we see it over and over again in many different ways. So at a certain level, it's still controlled by Hashem. Even even our sins and our good things around it is controlled by God to a certain extent. Not to take away from our freedom of choice, but also to understand that there's some sort of history has to happen. I mean, the God's, God's hand is in everything. Uh, because that way, like you're saying, we know here, there, in many other cases that it was already... Uh, you know, problems were going to happen. Now, you have the Dosa and the Aviram. They were the sons of Eliyav. As I said, Eliyav was also, they were all from the tribe of Reuben. Eliyav and Oinben Pelas were also all the tribe of Reuben. Now, in addition to them, okay, Sarah, you want to do the next Pasuk? Either one. <laughs> Your choice. Um, they, I haven't. they confronted Moses and Moshe together with 250 men from the children of Israel, chieftains of the congregation, representatives of the assembly, men of repute. So this wasn't just kids out there. This wasn't, uh, you know, sometimes. These were people, reputable people. And, you know, I mean, he calls them, you know, these were leaders. Uh, they were called to the meetings, meaning that they were uh, distinguished people and they were uh, great. And um, um, one of the things that, you know, goes by, you know, when you learn the commentators, they explain, one of the things were, Karach was arguing that hierarchy isn't necessary. He was saying, the Jewish people, as he's going to say in the next verse, in, in, in let's do uh, verse 2, do verse 3, and then we'll, we'll call it an evening today. Uh, do verse 3. They assembled against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves, for the entire congregation are all holy, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you raise yourself above the Lord's assembly? So basically, they were sort of, and now he was complaining about all the hierarchy, about anybody being in a position of leadership. He says, everybody is holy, we're all special, we all heard God speak at the Ten Commandments, we were all there at Mount Sinai, we're all, there should be no hierarchy, it's all we're all holy, everybody's a holy brother, a holy sister, we're all in it together, and we don't need no leadership, we don't need no Moshe, we don't need no Aaron, we don't need no Kahane, we don't need no Levim. And basically, we'll see in God's, in God's response to him, God said that there's a natural phenomenon, which is necessary to be, just like God says, just like the day and the night, you cannot separate it, they are created by nature, there has to be, there are different positions and there's different means, there's different, uh, uh, I guess, natures and jobs and, and, and positions that God has ordained. A Kohen has to be a Kohen, a Levi has to be a Levi, a Yisrael has to be a Levi. Everybody has their purpose and everybody has to have their function. You can't change that. That's not human, up to the human being. There are certain creations. Like today, people want to change. They want to make men into women, women into men. There's all kinds of... But there is uh, an element... That God says, this is the nature of things, and you cannot change that. It's not something that they, uh, that human human beings, as much as you would like for everything to be equal, for everything to be the same, there are just different, Hashem cre- created people 
and responsibilities differently. And each one has to make sure to do their responsibility the best way they know how, instead of wanting to do what the other ones did. But this verse of here says, when the whole community is holy, what they're really saying it's true, which means that everybody is holy, which means we're all special. And therefore they didn't think that one anyone should have uh, priority or leadership over the other. Well, he wanted the leadership. He didn't say that. Oh, he was okay. uh, he, that's he disguised it. His agenda was, and Moshe Rabbeinu was saying to him, "Listen, it's not enough that you're Levites and you already have positions, and you're already there, and still you want also to become the priesthood." He said, Moshe Rabbeinu said, "I also want to be a priest." He said, "Moshe is a king, is good, but he wants to be a priest." He says, "But eventually, it came out that what he really wanted is he wanted to be a leader, but in order to get his way." He told everybody else something else. But a person who steers up the other people doesn't come out and tell them what's really bothering him. These, all these people that cause uh, you know, dissent and incite others, and dis- they, don't do, they don't come out and say, Oh, I'm offended because I would like to be the big shot. You know, they don't say that. They come and say, Oh, you know, he's this, 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 and that. And they get everybody riled up, you know. And, you know, most of the time the people don't see through in between or don't care, you know. If the guy has a lot of money, you know, the guy's a powerful person, you know. So everybody goes along, jumps the bandwagon. It's very rarely that somebody should stand up. If you do stand up, you might become a victim yourself. So most people would rather, you know, they say, rather be the nail than the hammer, you know. (laughs) Go with the wave and let somebody else do it, you know. They don't want to go against the... uh, against the flow, we want to go with the wind, you know, and go, you know, and just, just keep, uh, go with everybody. Look look at the whole world. How many people can have the guts to stand up and say, everybody condemns Israel, everybody. Not one, not one of these, these nations sees the thing, you know, you know, for, for, its, for its real value, for its real value. And, you know, and the level of condemnation, you know, it's just, 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 but because, you know what, very, very rarely do people want, everybody wants to go along together with the rest of the chorus, you know, whatever.